Morbidly Beautiful presents Couch Trip Cinema, the podcast where we dig a little deeper and discuss why we are almost pathologically compelled to make movies. My name is Matthew Curry Holmes, and I love movies. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Cinebytes, the feature where I just spend some time talking about a couple movies that I really dig, you know, so uh, I appreciate you uh, pulling up a chair and hanging out with your favorite uh, ex-video store clerk. I do hope that you're all safe, healthy, and well-stocked in these uh, very strange times. Today, I'm going to talk about David Cronenberg. Recently, uh, we celebrated his birthday on uh, Morbidly Beautiful, and um, I want to talk about two films that uh, aren't necessarily his, what I would consider his best films, but they definitely left an indelible impression, uh, partially because I saw one of them when I was way too young, and uh, the other one I saw just at the right time when I was discovering myself. You know, so basically, uh, when you see movies at 10 and when you see movies at 17, those are the times, man. So, you know, for all the 10 year olds out there, you probably shouldn't be listening to this. And to the 17 year olds out there, uh, try and put something beautiful behind your eyes and into your brain. If I could imagine David Cronenberg as a child, I would suspect that he was that technology obsessed kid considered weird by some who was more interested in what happened if Clark Kent ingested kryptonite than he was about watching the wondrous adventures of Superman. That's not to say that Cronenberg is rooting for the destruction of the good guy. On the contrary, he's rooting for the good guy the whole time. His lens, though, um, has always been observational. Cronenberg seems more interested in asking, what would happen if Superman was thrust into his absolute worst case scenario? What would that look like? And then he takes it just a little further. David Cronenberg has always had the unique ability to perverse what we hold sacred in pop culture. He makes profane what we enjoy most in mainstream entertainment. It's almost as if he, uh, he delights in making us feel uncomfortable. One of the best examples of this is his 1981 sci-fi conspiracy thriller, Scanners. All right, let me back up. When I was a kid growing up in Canada, they used to show scanners on network television all the time. David Cronenberg was, and absolutely still is, a hero of Canadian cinema. But in the early 80s, you couldn't go a day without seeing the brood, videodrome, rabid, or scanners on Canadian network TV. I must have seen scanners a dozen times before I was 10. To me, uh, scanners was like a superhero movie, and of course it was. It was edited for television. Imagine my surprise when our family got Super Channel, which is basically the uh, Canadian equivalent to HBO, and I saw Scanners in all its gory glory. Okay, I'm not going to lie. It totally fucked me up. I mean, uh, it, it totally fucked me up seeing someone's head actually explode. I mean, it used to just be implied. You know, it was implied those dozen times before, and now, boom. Scanners is about a group of telepathic and telekinetic people known as, well, scanners, who are being recruited by an evil corporation called CONSEC. Uh, the CONSEC wants to use them as weapons, and uh, Daryl Revick, played brilliantly by Michael Ironside, is a renegade scanner who wants to build an army of his own. 
Revik not only wants to wage war against Konsak, but eventually take over the world. There's a whole generation of scanner soldiers just a few months away from being born. We'll find them, train them to be like us, not like Obris and their band of cripples. We'll bring the world of normals to their knees. Rule an empire so brilliant, so glorious, will be the envy of the whole planet. You sound just like him. Like Ruth. No, not like him. Like Rack! Daryl Rack! Stephen Lack plays Cameron Vale, a unwitting scanner who really has no idea who he is and what he's capable of doing until representatives of Consec take him and recruit him in the hopes that they can stop Daryl Revick. You're a scanner, which you don't realize. That has been the source of all your agony. But I will show you now that it can be a source of great power. So it's basically your good versus evil, your, or I guess in this case, uh, one evil versus another evil, because Consect is pulling the strings and the corporations are the ultimate evil, all culminating into a battle where each scanner stares at each other ferociously, getting their single takes until gore bubbles from their heads, and uh, one scanner emerges victorious. Sort of. All right. We're going to do it the scanner way. I'm going to suck your brain dry. Everything you are is going to become me. Scanners is a simple, elegant superhero film that, by all accounts, could have been a pretty straightforward, kid-friendly sci-fi thriller. In fact, up until I saw it on Super Channel, that's exactly what it was, a kid-friendly sci-fi thriller whose concept alone could have made the film a box office smash. But in Cronenberg's hand, and on Super Channel, however... Scanners is a very adult, unpleasant, nihilistic gore fest that borders on depressing. I'll be all right here for a while. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's finished. And nothing can stop Revik now. We were the dream, and he's the nightmare. I'm sorry, but you don't understand. You don't know Revit. You don't know how evil he is, how powerful he is. You don't know anything. Scanners is essentially a lo-fi X-Men movie with a heavy dose of counterculture, parable, and grisly special effects meant to discuss and unsettle. And while that fucked me up as a kid, looking back with a critical eye, that's actually a good thing. What makes Cronenberg unique and captivating as a filmmaker is that he never shies away from the visceral and... I believe, takes delight in revolting the audience. He is an artist who needs a very specific set of answers, and in doing so, constantly offers us an alternative view of what could be a very pleasurable mainstream thriller. But in doing so, he satisfies both his own morbid curiosity and ours, whether we want to know these answers or not. When looking at the entire David Cronenberg canon, Scanners is not a great film. But... It is definitely a great film to see if you are at all interested in getting inside the head of a filmmaker who, by and large, clearly loves mainstream movies, but for some reason just can't seem to not ask certain darker questions about them. I'm not quite sure if David Cronenberg thought that his allegorical, nihilistic gore-fest scanners would spawn four sequels, but it did. 
Yes, there are five scanner films out in the world right now. Uh, And I'm proud to say that they are all Canadian. When talking about William S. Burroughs, specifically his seminal 1959 junkie prose, The Naked Lunch, it's, uh, it's best to heed the advice from the author himself. Exterminate all rational thought. I feel that quote is even more relevant when trying to discuss the metatextual film adaptation from the great David Cronenberg. I saw the movie Naked Lunch in the theater when I was 17 years old. I was this uh, high school pseudo-intellectual who thought he knew everything. I mean, I, I did read the book The Naked Lunch by William S. Burroughs about a year earlier, and I understood that the book's vignettes were fueled by a cornucopia of ingested narcotics, but uh, I'll be honest, I didn't get it. And that's why 17-year-old know-it-alls read Burroughs like a thousand times, so that we're in our 40s, we can go, Burroughs... The voice of drug-addled descent satirizing the tyranny of our state? Yeah, I get Burroughs. But do we? I mean, sure, we understand what Burroughs was saying, but do we really get it? In Cronenberg's film adaptation of The Naked Lunch, Peter Weller plays Bill, an ex-writer who is now a bug exterminator and happens to be addicted to the bug powder. He gets caught stealing slash selling the junk and is subsequently recruited by a giant bug who talks out of his sphincter. Yes, you heard me right. This bug tells him to kill his wife, who, as it turns out, is a covert agent for the Interzone Incorporated. You with me so far? Exterminate all rational thought. Okay. Here's where things get weird. Bill goes home, gets high, and accidentally shoots his wife in the head during their often-played game of William Tell. He flees to the inner zone where he must write multiple reports on a Clark Nova typewriter, which turns into the sphincter-talking bug. Along the way, he meets a slew of sexually ambivalent characters, including aliens known as mugwumps that secrete deadly jism from their phallic antennae, and his wife's doppelganger with whom he flees the inner zone to Anexia but not before he discovers who is behind the bug powder narcotic jism trade and that he has been simultaneously suppressing his own creativity and blatant homosexuality. Okay, now, first sentence is, homosexuality is the best all-around cover an agent ever had. Ah, come on, Bill. Don't be such a pansy. Be forceful. Hurt me. Naked Lunch is an insane movie. And what makes it brilliant is that it is both an adaptation of the book, per se, and a biopic of its author. William S. Burroughs actually killed his wife, accidentally, of course, and Hank and Martin are based on real people, Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac. I mean, those three are often considered the trifecta of the beat generation, with Allen Ginsberg's Howl, William S. Burroughs' Naked Lunch, and Jack Kerouac's On the Road considered the best-known examples of beat literature. Because the book The Naked Lunch doesn't have a plot to speak of, David Cronenberg was given free reign to make up whatever he wanted for the film. He chose the themes of the book that I assume you know, spoke to him the most, censorship, addiction, paranoia, fear, and panic, and then coupled them with the biographical incidents of the author to create what I think is a brilliant, often hilarious, startling sexual sci-fi film that 
at its heart is essentially about a writer who was afraid to write for fear what he might discover about himself. A well-orchestrated cabal could easily manage all of these simple things, children. When will you learn? Well, they've done you a favor, Bill, because this stuff's going to get published under your name, and you'll have a career. Yeah, you'll probably get into print before we will. For God's sake, Bill, play ball with this conspiracy. Let me repeat that. David Cronenberg's adaptation of Naked Lunch is about a writer who is afraid to write for fear of what he might discover about himself. Do I get William S. Burroughs now? You bet your ass I do. Exterminate all rational thought. you all so much for tuning into Cinebytes. Uh, I love doing this. I love talking about movies. Um, on the next Cinebytes, I will be talking about movies that the critics got wrong. I'm going to pick a couple films that, uh, that I think were badly maligned by the film critics that uh, I think that are actually uh, kind of brilliant. So uh, until then, uh, make sure you guys are staying safe. Uh, I hope you're healthy uh, in these uh, troubled times. And uh, thanks again for listening. Later. <laughs>